Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another season of Gathering Ground, a podcast where with each new guest, and today we have lots of guests. I'm very excited. We explore what it looks like to work in nonprofits, foundations, and for-profits. I'm Mary Morton. I'm president of Morton Group LLC, and we are a national consulting firm that operates in Chicago and works with clients from coast to coast and everywhere in between. Our work is in the areas of organizational development, research, executive placements, diversity, racial equity, and inclusion. And I just want to remind you that we can be found on Apple Podcasts and any place you get your podcasts. So please check us out and please subscribe so that you'll know whenever we release a new new version of our podcast. Today, we are celebrating the Chicago Foundation for Women. 35 years ago, organizations that were geared toward women and girls were only receiving 3% of all philanthropic dollars, which meant that programs addressing domestic violence, reproductive health, economic equality, and other issues critical to the well-being of women and girls were often underfunded. Four women in 1984 set out to change what they have now founded called Chicago Foundation for Women, or CFW. This year, Chicago Foundation for Women is celebrating 35 years, it's hard to believe, of service to women and girls through nearly 4,000 grants, totaling $30 million. I am so proud to be among many people who have supported CFW over the years. And I was the board chair back in 1999 through 2001. I'm excited to bring together some of the people who took CFW from a vision to a reality and hear from the people who are holding the direction and future of the foundation moving forward. So we're gonna get started with our first group of panelists. And first, we are going to talk to Sonny Fisher, Iris Krieg, and Joe Moore. Sonny Fisher and Iris Krieg are the founders, co-founders of the Chicago Foundation for Women, and I wanna make sure to acknowledge the other two founders who are not with us today, Lucia Woods-Lindley and Marjorie Craig Benton. And also joining us today in this segment will be Joe Moore. Joe is a past CFW board chair. She was one of the first staff as a development staff person. And um, Joe has gone on to do major consulting with organizations for several years. So I wanna welcome Sunny. I wanna welcome Iris and Joe to Gathering Ground. So good to see you. Hi. 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 Great Great to to have you here. Sunny, you most recently, you, you know, you've continued to do many things in philanthropy, of course, um, three, three House Foundation for many years, the Sophia Fund. Um, and most recently, you had an opportunity to be the interim president of the foundation uh, between Sajada and uh, before Felicia was appointed. So we want to hear a little bit about that. Iris, of course, has been a, uh, was the first board chair of the organization. And she serves as the executive director for a family foundation, senior staff at major community foundations, uh, but for many years has had her own consulting firm, Iris Creek and Associates. And as I mentioned, Joe um, was a board chair, um, first staff person, uh, and served as a consultant to many, many nonprofits, foundations, social service, environmental groups. Um, she's done it all. So let's get right into this. And Sonny and Iris, tell me, how did you? to and the other founders meet. Iris, do you, you want to start? Sure. Uh, Sunny will tell, I'm sure, her, um, how she, what she was doing when we first met uh, working at the Sophia Fund. Um, I was working for um, Marshall Field and um, had had a lot of experience working in, in a community foundation model 
and it was very clear to me that by that time I'd already worked in philanthropy for several years. It was very clear to me that um, women were not, as you cited earlier, getting anywhere near what any reasonable human being could consider a fair share of the uh, philanthropic dollars. And it irked me every single day of my life when I saw uh, how funds were flowing. Um, and so then somebody said to me, you have to meet the Sunny Fisher. She's really, really terrific and she's new in the field. And uh, she's going to tell you uh, what she was thinking. Um, I, the only other thing that I will say is that my previous experience working at the Community Trust, I had met Marjorie Benton and I knew what a terrific person she was, what a great advocate she was, how committed she was to uh, women and um, families and children and how she also had been experienced in understanding the world of philanthropy as well and was a terrific fundraiser. So as all these things were percolating in my mind, Marjorie was in my mind as, as well. Great. And Sunny? I was, had been working in a battered women's shelter, actually, and was also um, had trained as a rape victim advocate. So I was learning really um, firsthand what was happening to women in the communities. And I was, um, particularly women of color, particularly women who were poor. And I met Lucia Woods Lindley uh, through a, a mutual friend who thought that uh, our, our mutual interest in, in women's issues would, would be something that we should talk about. Uh, I didn't know at the time that Lucia was interested in starting a foundation. So when we first met, we, we talked about a lot of things. And then she said, well, how about helping me and I'm, I'm shortening the story a bit, yes. but we need to figure out what to do. And she, what her original thought was that there were, might be other women like her who, have, um, who had resources of their own. And we should like to call it energy. Money is energy. Uh, and her vision was at the time that we find six or seven other women who could also put in um, $100,000 or more that we would then give away to the, to the issues that were facing women. Um, most immediately. Uh, reproductive health was something that was very important to Lucia and um, women and, and, economic, and economic security was another thing that was really important to her. And so um, I, I was hired to give away about $100,000. I think the most we ever gave away through Sophia was $200,000, but really to help organize finding these other women. And then um, Iris and I met at a Chicago Women in Philanthropy uh, event, which Iris started. It was such a, one of her many, many brilliant moves. And we, we started to talk about, you know, where are these other women? And as we did more and more research, um, we, uh, I'm talking to a lot, a lot of women in the community who were in nonprofits and who were being served by nonprofits. We figured that there were a lot of people who might want to give $10 or $50 uh, as a matter of fact, my favorite, my favorite gift was from somebody who said, here's $50. I've never written a check before without asking my husband first to any organization. Wow. Wow. That was kind of, that was kind of a, a wonderful gift. And then there would be women who would be, have much more to give. Uh, I, in the, when I worked at the Battered Women's Shelter in Evanston, I met Joe Moore and Kathy Hurley. And I said to, to Iris and Marge and Lucia, we need these women. And uh, maybe that's a good segue to Joe because they were, they were yeah. so extraordinary in organizing for the, mm -hmm. the shelter. 
uh, and I knew that they would be just as extraordinary and they were for CFW. Wonderful. Well, Joe, tell us, how did you become involved with the foundation? Is that your uh, entry? Well, when I was one of the founders of the Evanston Shelter for Battered Women, and I had, we had the good fortune to hire Sunny <laughs> as our first uh, counselor and social worker. Uh, and so by the time she turned to ask us to come to the first fundraising meeting, uh, Kathy and I and Sue Marino, who later be also became a board chair, um, we were really ready to go because we had seen all the issues lay layered on top of each other mm -hmm. from, you know, legislation to the training of police and dealing with domestic violence calls to uh, affordable housing, safe, affordable daycare, medical health, training uh, ER positions on how to deal with uh, survivors of domestic violence. So we were looking for something that was in include all of these issues. As hard as we had worked to start the shelter, we knew that all of these other issues had to be addressed too in order for women to be able to leave the violent situations they were living in at that time. So Sunny called and said, come to the first fundraising committee meeting. We, we said, we don't know how to fundraise. And we said, you will meet wonderful people and it'll be a lot of fun. And people have fallen for that line for years. <laughs> Because you do meet the most wonderful you people do. involved you with this for women. You absolutely do. That's, that's very true. Um, so what were the early days of the foundation like? And, and I guess I'm going to ask you that, Sunny, as someone who had, I think, a very unique experience to be one of the founders, but then to have an opportunity to come back um, many years later as the interim president. How, what were some of the differences that you saw just in terms of things that you all started and, and how things have evolved? Oh my goodness. Well, first, <laughs> the first thing I could think of is that the first, the first amount of money that we gave away uh, was $50,000. And we were really, really impressed with that <laughs> at the time. Um, at, I, although there were several, one of the first proposals that came in, a couple of people asked for 100000 and mm. <laughs> well, we couldn't do it that. So, so mm -hmm. the resources, the difference in the resources is wonderful. Of course, we only had one staff person um, and the executive director, and then uh, slowly, slowly built the, the staff uh, and, and had and, and many of those women who were on that staff have gone on to do fabulous things. It would take too long to, to go through that. Yes. Um, it, was, it was actually working a bit out of scarcity, but with tremendous energy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, as, and we had so much fun. It was, um, it, we, we had fun retelling stories about people who we had asked for money, particularly the men in foundation world um, and, and the responses that we were getting. We had a, we had a, a firsthand um, experience in sexism and philanthropy. We also had a, a, a really, a, a vision, I think, Iris is fond of saying this, that when people come over to us at the, at the annual meetings and say, oh, did you ever expect it to get this big? Because our first annual meeting had 350 people. Wow. And now, of course, there's over 2,000 very often. And Iris is, and we stand there and say, absolutely. No, we wouldn't have tried all this. <laughs> right. 
Dream but big. Those first years were heady years. They really were. It just mm -hmm. getting Great. to organize, beginning to, and I joke and talk to this as well, to kind of move into areas that we hadn't even really had the imagination at first to, to realize that they could be helpful and could be supportive. Mm -hmm. Iris, what was it like for you as the first board chair? Oh, Sunny said it was very exciting and it really was. It was scurrying around all the time. We, as Sunny said, we only had one staff person at the very beginning and so many of us on the board took on what would later become staff roles. Um, and it was just really exciting to tell our story to others and say, guess who we talked to today or guess what or, or who else should we bring in? Um, Sunny and I in particular think of ourselves uh, in some ways as social workers and organizers. And we always believe that the more people who are participating, the better off all of us are. Um, and uh, so when Joe and uh, the others joined, we were very excited. And the more, we could, more people that we could get in, the more women that we could get in, the more exciting um, it, it was to us. And so it was a constant set of energy and high and ups and downs and moving forward. And when you trust in women, something's gonna happen. And that's, that's, right. that's good. We trusted in each other and we trusted in the people we brought in and something happened. <laughs> Wonderful. Joe, what are, tell us one of your memories, one of your favorite memories from that time. Well, I think one of the, the most important things that happened was based on Iris's remarks about trusting in women. I, at the time, we, we knew we were inventing a wheel. We knew we were coming up with a new way to make grants by going into communities and asking the women who were experiencing the issues and working on the issues what they needed to solve some of those problems that we trusted that they had the answers. And that's what informed our grant making. And then basically we did that same thing with the donors. We would educate them about the issues. We, we would love to highlight grantee organizations and people that had had their lives changed by the, the grant making and work we had done. And then we would say to the women that we had introduced to all of this, we know you care passionately about the work that's being done for women. What do we need? What do you want us to do to get you to make the biggest gift you, you can to the foundation? And we really listened to the donors. And I, th I think that was uh, broken, sort of the, I don't know, like the fourth wall or something in, in uh, growing an organization. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So in, in closing, I want to ask just one question, uh, particularly to um, Iris and, and Sonny. Um, the foundation, certainly when I joined the board, which was uh, in 95, 96, um, I remember saying to Betsy Brill, uh, who was a program officer, I said, you know, I'd like to learn something about this uh, grant making. I think it'd be a good skill for me to have. Totally self-concerned. <laughs> and um, and it's like, be careful what you ask for, because about six months later, I was co-chairing at that time, the allocations committee with Faye Clayton. And I was already doing work in the reproductive rights area. I was chair of Chicago abortion fund. So I knew who Faye Clayton was and was scared out of my mind to be uh, co-chairing a committee with her, as you can imagine. Um, but one of the things that 
um, we certainly always talked about a lot was the diversity of the board and how important that was and how intentional it was. Can you just give us a little bit about how you, you really made that happen and how, I mean, it's continued throughout, you know, till this day, but why was that important to you at the very beginning? Well, if the foundation is for all women, then it should involve all women. I will say, in all honesty, that I don't think we did as good a job at the beginning as we would have liked to. We tried very, very hard to bring in as many, as many women as we could from different backgrounds and different races and different, um, just different circumstances. And it was, um, uh, I think the foundation learned over time how to do it better and we got better at it. It was always a value that we had. There's no question in my mind that it was always a value that we had. But mm -hmm. I just think that we had to work hard over time to make it what it is today, something that I think all of us are really proud of, um, of the diversity that it, it now has, uh, but diversity of opinions, diversity in every way that you could think of, and it makes it all even stronger. You know, if you believe in women, and then you believe in diversity, I mean, then there's no nowhere you can't go. And so I really feel like that's like the foundation is on a trajectory that's really, really up from, from where it's been. I just want to say, I want to thank Joe because Joe really infused into the foundation in a really serious way, the belief that we had two missions and, and as she just described it, uh, certainly to get the grants out and to help all those women who needed it and all those organizations that were uh, raising women's issues and serving women, there was no question we had to do that. And at the same time, we had this very large job to educate women to be donors and to be significant donors and to feel good about it um, and to be donors at whatever level you could and the importance of that and the importance of understanding what you're given to and being and developing your own commitment and allowing yourself to be committed to it. And I think Joe really infused that into the foundation from the day she walked in the door. Wonderful. Sunny, did you want to add something before we wrap? Yeah, um, uh, quickly, just because of time, uh, and well said, Iris, I, I think we, 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 did, we, we did have those values from the beginning in 1983. Um, we had gone through the 60s. We knew what was happening there. We, it's, it's, a, it's a reincarnation of the 60s. And we can see how that, that line goes from believing in equity and diversity to knowing we need to become, as, as you'll probably hear, an anti-racist organization. And that, that goes deeper and, and it goes wider and, and it's very, very important. And I, I think it's also because we did believe that all women needed, we had so many universal issues in, in common and we needed to believe, that, we really deeply believe that we, all, all of those talents, all of those experiences were necessary to, to make us successful and, and to, be, um, to be a force for good for women. And Wonderful. Wonderful. Everybody. Well, thank you all so much. Um, we're, you know, sit tight. We're going to bring in our next group of folks who also were part of the board and or part of the staff. Um, there are just many, many um, people who have been impacted by Chicago Foundation for Women. And I, I wish we had time to hear from so many more. Um, however, we want to bring you as many as we could today. And before we start our next conversation, I wanna make sure you know that we are, we'll be hearing from board, we'll be hearing from staff members, and of course, some volunteers. So I am going to now introduce um, 
our next group we're going to hear from, uh, and that includes Mary Ann Philbin, Chris Grum, and uh, I don't know if Gwen Cohen is here. I know she was running from one appointment to the next, is so often the case. And then uh, we're going to also have Suzanne Musicantel-Holster join us. So let's start with you, Marianne. Marianne, when, you, when I joined the board at my very first board meeting, you were resigning. I, I, you know, I didn't want to take that personally. Uh, <laughs> but, um, tell us, you know, how long you were involved with the foundation and what you did when you left the foundation, what you're doing now. I joined the foundation in 1989, so I was the executive director for eight years or so, seven or eight years until leaving in 96. I couldn't have named that date if you hadn't had just said it. <laughs> and it, it you know, was so exciting because we were every day forging an organizational identity for a brand new organization at the same time that the movement itself, the women's funding movement was so new. And so it was big work and it was very personal work for every single individual who was involved. And, and as Sunny said, uh, you know, just a heady, fun, crazy, exciting time. Uh, after I, I left, I consulted for foundations and nonprofits for a number of years and then worked for the Chicago branch of the Annenberg Foundation. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. for the last 10 years, uh, I've been co-executive director with Heather Parrish of the Pierce Foundation here in Chicago. And we fund capacity building for nonprofits, social justice, and work around homeless services in the homeless services field. Wonderful. And, and actually, as it turns out, I, I felt like I got to know you more after you left the foundation, because as I said, as I was coming in, you were, you were getting ready to leave in a few months. And then, of course, following you was Chris Grum. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well here in Portland with the smoke, the fires, and the <sighs> Oh, my goodness. Life is easy. No, my God. Well, tell us. So you were at Chicago Foundation for Women from, I think, if I'm, I think it was 99 to 2005, somewhere during no, that time? No, it was 96 to 2000. 96, okay. Yeah, All right. 2000, right after okay. I followed up Marianne. Okay. And I was excited to come to the foundation after I'd come back from working uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, and I was thrilled. That's right. That's part right. of um, an organization that was so community focused. And I came to Chicago and learned about the am amazing generosity of philanthropy in Chicago. And it was during uh, that time that I think we hit a million in grant making, mm. our first um, endowment campaign. And that was really exciting. And then it was from there that I learned all these things about Chicago that I then moved to become the CEO of the Women's Funding Network, which was about 160 women's funds from around the world. And it was through during that time that women moving millions then yes, uh, yes. that raised 200 million. Mm -hmm. Um, did that for 11 years and after oh, was it 11 years wow yeah it was 11 years 11 long years <laughs> yes it was a good time but I have to say Chicago is so much in my heart I come back and visit quite often and I one of the things I'm going to do this year it, next year is do a road trip through yes come see us and start visiting so as I see all your faces I'm adding you all to the dinner to the dinner the, the dinner and lunch menus. I then went on to become a, a consultant and have done that for about 10 years working in social change, social justice, fundraising. And supposedly this year, 2020 was trying to retire. 
uh, then COVID hit and still trying to retire, but sitting on two boards, uh, Landessa, which is Land Rights and the International Health Coalition, which is Reproductive Rights. Wonderful. Well, I, of course, worked with you at the Women's Funding Network. Absolutely. Uh, um, that was one of my first clients for 10 years out in San Francisco, had incredible experiences helping other uh, foundations get started and doing all kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that was, it was, it was a good time. Um, good. So I want to also bring on Suzanne Musicantau Holster, um, who Suzanne and I worked together very closely um, at the foundation. Um, Suzanne followed me as board chair and um, has done, you know, then moved out to the West Coast. So how are you out in the West Coast right now, Suzanne? Actually, now I'm in the South. I moved You're in the South? Country. Okay. I'm totally, okay. I did. Where I'm, in the South are you? I'm in uh, the Charleston area. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. I am. How long have you been there? Uh, three years. Three years. Okay. How did you get involved with the foundation? So I was working um, with my then husband and um, Sandra Epstein, and I think she had a hyphenated name as well. I can't remember all of her last name now, but Sandra Epstein an mm -hmm. office from us and she started talking about the foundation and she invited me to a little this and a little that and before long I was on a little committee and um, the more that I um, understood sort of the respect for the foundation on the foundation's part for all women which included me um, I had no idea about anything uh, to do with philanthropy. I had worked as a volunteer for a uh, child abuse prevention services um, organization on their hotline and uh, with parenting um, classes and that kind of thing, but hadn't really been involved in philanthropy, social, certainly not social change philanthropy. So the more I attended meetings or forums or, you know, whatever the, was going on at the, at the time, the more involved, engaged, educated uh, and committed I became mm -hmm. so, to the point where I at some point became the board chair yes. and then I followed Chris to California. Uh -huh. um, I had been on that board as well, the Women's Funding Network board. So, um, uh, and I was board chair for that organization as well and eventually became the vice president of development for that um, organization. Mm -hmm. So we remember that. I mm -hmm. remember that. A lot yeah. of connects. Wow. Yes. Yes. Lots of connections. Lots of connections, right? And it's interesting how we've, you know, stayed connected in, in different ways, um, even if we weren't talking to each other on a regular basis. Um, Gwen, how's your audio? Yes, I should be on. If okay, you are on. Great. Good it's to great see to you. See everybody, it's great to see all of you. Isn't it? Um, Gwen, tell us how you got involved with the foundation. Well, I began in a conversation, an innocent conversation with Sue Marino, who uh, was then board chair, and yep. she asked me if I would be willing to join the board. And at the time, I had just joined two other boards, so I declined, but she asked me to join a committee. <laughs> and I did. And um, a short time later, I found myself on the board. So uh, I served That's how it happens. <laughs> yes, and uh, served as alumni council co-chair, so... I've been involved for a long time, as you can tell. Absolutely. And so, yeah, everyone who's uh, on, in most cases, were yes. people that I was crossing paths with probably on the board or, you know, you were on, right, but we were on at some point the board together. Um, Gwen, just a little bit um, in terms of your work most recently with the foundation, I know you had uh, something to do with uh, Willie's Warriors. Can you tell us a little about that? Um, 
Wow. Um, she's another person that is hard to say no to. And uh, I invited her to a CFW event. And who are you referring to? Who are you referring to? I'm referring to uh, Reverend Barrow, Reverend mm -hmm. Willie Taplin Barry, Barrow, right. Barrow, who is known as um, uh, the Little Warrior. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually served as her advisor and I asked her, as I do with all of my clients, how do you live and leave your legacy? And she told me that she had this vision, which included a building where a lot of her equipment, a lot of her memorabilia would be. Um, and she wanted a leadership institute. So as we talked more about it, um, I think she decided, I really want to be sure that I have a lasting legacy that might not have all of the overhead associated with a museum or something similar. Mm -hmm. And um, I think over time, she, she let me know that she really wanted to have a lasting impact for generations. And um, I connected her with a trust attorney who got together some documents. We had some conversations. And I really wasn't sure what she had actually decided to do until much later on. And um, she shared with me that when I shared my story of why I do what I do, she shared with me that she saw herself as being very much like my great-grandmother who would have been on this board um, mm -hmm. of the Chicago Foundation for Women and who uh, wanted to make sure that women were empowered financially and, and financially savvy. Women thought about the size of their families and women also found ways to give back to the good earth. So she wanted to make sure that I could take a piece of my vision and help her implement it through her philanthropy. And that's how it all began. Wonderful. Wonderful. And it's great to see it come to fruition, right? Um, quite rewarding. Yes, quite. Hey, Chris, just a question for you in terms of, and, and I'd be interested in Suzanne, your perspective, how is philanthropy different in the South and where you are in, in the Pacific Northwest? Because I've actually uh, been in the Pacific Northwest for the last several years. We have a number of clients out there and um, it's, you know, certainly very different than the Midwest. What's been your take on that in terms of philanthropy? Well, one of the things I found in moving to Portland, and it's probably not so much of Seattle, because uh, Seattle has a lot of tech yeah, money. I do. But in the, in the Northwest, people are much quieter about Yes, them. they are. Northwest nice. So, yes. So <laughs> it, it, it's nice in one way. You don't know yeah. who's who necessarily. But also, people probably pretend they don't have money. <laughs> okay. Sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to dig it up. Now, that, that's the Portland way. Seattle's a little different because it has much more of a tech and you know who the who the big players are, it, they're, it, they're, it's harder for them to hide. Mm -hmm. It's that independence. It's not, you know, Chicago, people believed in community and understood community, understood their commitment to it. Mm -hmm. Is, that's very different, I think, uh, in the West and both in San Francisco and so forth and in the tech community. Um, mm -hmm. People are committed to their own ideas in many ways. And you have to move them into understanding the community. So mm -hmm. that's just a quick glimpse. Okay. And what about you, Suzanne? For me, I've been struggling to find organizations that are involved in, in social change. Um, most of them are direct service. Um, mm. And that's fine as far as it goes. I also, um, the political landscape here is, um, let's say, not it's hard to harvest like-minded people yes, from this landscape. Yeah. So yeah. that has been a challenge as well. Um, but um, I'm starting to, and it's difficult to meet people when you move you know, from 
one state across the country to another, but nonetheless, I'm starting to get involved with some people that are involved with people and other organizations. Jamie Philippi is out here as well. Oh, that's right. Wow. That's right. Okay. Yes. Wow. So we've connected a couple of times with Promises Connect again after things settle down COVID-wise. Yes, yes. But, uh, so she's a great resource. Um, Wonderful. But I know, it's like, yes, family is here. So it, it is a different, an entirely different experience here in terms of philanthropy. And people here are more polite, let's say, about their money. Mm. Um, <laughs> and a little bit closer to the chest uh, with all of that. Um, it's more difficult to have conversations um, mm -hmm. about giving here. It's, okay. uh, it's just like, as I said, a private endeavor more than anything. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Uh, we're going to move into our, our next segment, but you all, you know, sit tight. Um, we've been talking about, you know, past experiences and what the foundation has meant to so many of us. And now we're excited to welcome some of the individuals who are leading the foundation now um, and will be leading it maybe into the next 35 years. Um, I'm sure that's news to Felicia. Um, so I want to <laughs> welcome uh, Felicia Davis, who's the CEO and president of the foundation and also Kelly Smith-Haley, who's the current board chair, um, and Vanita Griffin. Uh, as we said, Lauren was unable to be with us today. She had a family emergency, so we're sending her um, uh, some good vibes. But I'm so happy to have all of you here, Felicia and Kelly. I don't see Kelly. Kelly's okay, and, um, and Vanita, thank you all for joining us. So Felicia, you started as part of the Southside Giving Circle. Was that your introduction to the foundation? Actually, what came before that was the inaugural advisory board um, for Willie's Warriors. Oh, so that was okay. first. Oh. Um, Sujana asked me to be a part of that group and also a part of some of the work that CFW was doing around community engagement. So okay. two things kind of happened in quick succession. And then the founding, um, working with the other members um, to found the uh, Southside Giving Circle. Wonderful. And so what was it that intrigued you about the, the foundation, what drew you to the foundation? You know, um, well, I mean, it was a couple of things. I think it was, I, I'd known about CFW all along. I had attended the luncheon, you know, I, and someone said earlier, I don't know, you know, you come to a thing and then you go to another thing and, and that's how you kind of uh, get roped in. So I had attended the luncheon the years and some of the other um, professional roles that I had had. But I, I think it was, I mean, it was a couple of things. It was, I think Iris and Sunny touched on this. It was an organization adjusting <laughs> and growing with the times, right? Each of us holds a baton and we're passing it on. So we're still part of this long legacy, but we are all baton holders and we kind of pass it to the next person. So there was that. And then for us with the giving circle, it was deepening the relationships um, and the focus on black women and girls, particularly on the South side of Chicago. And so that was really personal being a girl from the South side of Chicago and um, working with a foundation that was welcoming that type of um, uber focus by women um, philanthropists um, in the community was really welcoming as well. Wonderful. And uh, Vanita, how did you get involved with the foundation? Oh, wow. Um, I've <laughs> known about the foundation um, all along. I kind of one of my first jobs here in Chicago um, out of college was at the Joyce Foundation. And so just kind of having worked in the sector, I knew about CFW. I got deeply, deeply embedded. I joked earlier that um, the foundation can't get rid of me now. Um, 
But I was um, one of the um, Lily's Warriors, like a 2019 Lily's Warriors. Um, and then in quick succession, I joined the Southside Giving Circle, um, which I'm still on. I'm now um, a co-chair of the Women of Color United Giving Circle. I'm on like the COVID community response thing. I'm on like all the things. Just a few things. Yeah, because it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how they. That's how they get you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wonderful. So, um, and, and uh, let's hear from Kelly. How did you learn about the foundation? So it, it's funny, as I hear everyone else's stories, the one thing that stands out is everyone has spoken about being involved in the community, being passionate about issues uh, affecting women and girls. And so it's almost like a magnet. It's, if you're someone who's in this space, you're automatically drawn to it because it's such a fantastic foundation. Um, I was a White House intern for Hillary Clinton in the White House in 90. Eight, and it was the summer of, um, I would say it was a summer where everyone in the country was talking about Monica Lewinsky, except for in the first uh, yeah. office. Yeah. And it really shaped how I thought about the way we talk about women, issues affecting women. And it sort of launched me into a hyper-focused area um, where we talk about issues affecting women and girls and how you look at a story and you see it differently when you look at it through that lens. Through the gender lens, right. And now you're an attorney at yeah. Fox, Weibel, uh, Levin, and Carroll. Yes. How has this work with the foundation uh, worked with what you're doing as an attorney? Do you see the, the connection and, and any influence? Yeah, so I'm actually an employment lawyer mm -hmm. um, training. So I, I mm. work with companies to do their harassment training, their anti-discrimination training. I do a lot of investigations. Um, I used to do more litigation, but I find that for me, a great way to have impact is to get in early and actually get in when policies are being made at a company, when we're talking about paid sick leave, mm -hmm. when, when I have the CEO's ear or the HR's ear of, okay, what should we be doing for unpaid leave of absence if we're not covered by FINLA? So my work is very much informed, and, and don't tell all my clients, but it's a great way to uh, weave in some of what CFW is doing and focused on from a policy perspective mm -hmm. and get in at the, the groundwork. Wonderful. So what, what can we expect next from CFW, Felicia? What's coming down the path? Well, um, one of the things I think, um, as I alluded to earlier, is the continuing refinement and focus on intersectional feminism, understanding. We've done some work um, with our board and with the staff. Um, we started this um, you know, interrogating around gender equity and what it really means. And for all of us at CFW, it is absolutely inclusive of racial equity. Um, we've heard stories and narratives from women in the community um, of all um, um, races who talk about their experiences from that lens. And it's hard to separate their gender from experiences that they've had with race. The other thing that is around the corner um, for us really is this deepening of a gender lens and the work that we do with our grantee partners. So for 35 years, we funded some great work. Um, our lead has always been about gender equity. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the great work of the partners that they also led with that same kind of focus. Right. And so more and more intentionally, we're working on um, with some researchers on a gender equity tool. So it's kind of like a, a gender equity index and we will be working with organizations on their equity index in the, in the organization starting with some of our grantee partners um, so that we can look at things like what are their policies like it's not just enough about the grant dollars that we um, send out the door it's also about how can we change organizations so that they better serve women 
their employees um, right. um, internally as well. And so we'll be doing that more in the future. And I think right now in the context that we uh, sit in with COVID and the impacts, mm-hmm. health impacts, the economic impacts, um, the disparity in employment and all of those things for a long time to come. Um, we um, talk a great deal about this, the long tail that we expect to have, even as attention spans wane on this and no one really wants to talk about it. The impact on women and girls and trans and non-binary individuals is going to be long lasting or longer lasting than people are kind of considering right now. So um, with the funds that we're raising and particularly our um, um, resilient response, recovery and resilience fund, working mm-hmm. to build more resilience into the sector for women and girls um, and the organization that we partner and work with. Excellent. And Kelly, from your perspective as the board chair? Um, you know, it's hard to, to top what Felicia said. I actually think <laughs> that's the focus we're going on. I think as a board, and this has been alluded to, one of the things I'm really proud about is the anti-racism work we've been doing as a whole board. Mm-hmm. We actually started um, and Felicia can't help me out here because it was before Felicia joined. November, as, November uh, 2018. 2018. We, as a board, went through anti-racism training through CWAR, and it was mm-hmm. really informative of the way we approach our work, especially as a board, and I think for the staff as well, it was a joint, a joint training. And so um, we're going to continue that work, continue those, as, as Felicia says, those hard conversations. If we're expecting other people to have those, we're going to have them ourselves as to yeah. how to take our work forward. So that's, to me, that's one of the most exciting things we're doing. And then as Felicia said, we have our R3 fund, our response, recovery, resilience. Um, there's, nobody is glad COVID has happened, but there's an opportunity to make things better. And at, at CFW, we're starting to think about with this break we've all been given, how do we change things? What policies need to change so that when we do go back to some type of uh, it's not normalcy, but when things go back, when we go back someplace, yes. how do we make sure <laughs> that some of the structures that have been disrupted are going to improve? So we're, we're starting to think about that. Um, that's coming through the funding that we're, we're doing with the R3 fund. So to me, those are probably two of the most exciting things that we're working on. Um, yeah. Well, wonderful. And uh, Vanita, with regard to the giving circles, um, and, and picking up a little bit on what Kelly was saying around racial equity, what role has the, ha, have you had with regard to the work around racial equity and the work around um, just introducing philanthropy to other women who may not have been exposed to it as you have? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, kind of what I um, have seen um, through my work in like advocacy and in the nonprofit world is that in philanthropy, there is a lot of folks, sometimes there's a lot of folks from outside of the community telling the community what they need and what they should do. Right. Um, and right. As, as well-meaning as that may be, that can sometimes do more harm than good. Of course. Um, and so what I've been seeing with CFW and with the, the giving councils and the giving circles, it's really powerful in that um, we are bringing our unique voices and our lived experiences to the process. So, for example, Southside Giving Circle, uh, someone who lives in Hyde Park and, you know, kind of hangs out in South Shore and Woodlawn, um, I, I, I'm in the community day to day. And so I'm able to look at um, a grant proposal and see whether or not the organization that's proposing services or um, 
anything, whether or not they're actually taking community voice into play, whether or not they are, the leaders are, look like that community. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And same thing with the Women of um, Color United um, Giving Circle. We're bringing our unique, like, um, like gender and racial lenses to this grant making. And I think it's so powerful that CFW has um, created these spaces. Um, and I just really, um, it, it gives me like the warm and fuzzies to know like the, <laughs> the entire staff has gone through this anti-racist training because it's, it's we've all seen the horrible stories um, coming out of organizations um, as this country um, hopefully is starting to kind of like reckon, you know, have these conversations around race. Um, and to know that CFW is providing staff and volunteers like an opportunity to do this hard work and have these uncomfortable conversations so we can reimagine um, mm-hmm. the work we do, it, I think it's just really powerful. And I think it's really forward thinking and you're not necessarily seeing that in a lot of spaces. Absolutely, no, I, I totally agree. And it's important that, um, that the organization has done its own work, as you say, internally, um, because sometimes that's not how it happens. You know, we go out the door and we start doing some work externally, but, oh, we haven't, you know, taken a look inside. Um, we do lots of racial equity work all over the country. And I'm, I'm always um, surprised that people think we can talk about things other than race if we're going to talk about equity. Um, if we don't address race, there will be no other equity. Yeah. You know, we won't have gender equity, we won't have LGBTQ equity, we won't have any of that. And so um, that that's a really important piece. And it's wonderful to know that that work is going on. And of course, it's going to be continued. Uh, as we often say, it's a journey, right? You're not going to arrive at a destination. You've got to continue doing that work. Um, when you think about the Giving Council down the road, um, Benita, what what do you think the, the, the future looks like for the council that you're, you're um, co-chairing? I'm really excited to kind of have these conversations within the Women of Color United Giving Council um, around kind of shared issues, right? Um, Obviously, as women of color, we're not this monolithic group. And depending on um, kind of the communities we live in, um, our socioeconomic background status, all of these things um, kind of... uh, you know, help color um, and guide um, what we believe the community needs. Um, But I think kind of starting the process of having these conversations and bringing all types of women to the table and then going out, um, you know, like if COVID ever ends, you know, going out. Don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Going, um, you know, and if we have to do it virtually, we'll do it virtually, but going out into communities, talking to um, you know, organizations and leaders in those communities. So we can first, you know, educate ourselves about what's right. needed um, and then being able to make, you know, really like, you know, smart strategic grant making decisions. I think what it does is like lay the groundwork um, to have to build this really, what I believe is going to be a powerful coalition of, of women of color who are like standing up and being advocates, not just for their own unique issues in their community, but for other women, right? So this list, this idea of intersectional feminism, I, mm-hmm. I really yes. think we're laying the groundwork for that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Felicia, anything you want to add about the future and and what's what else is coming down the road? I, I want to take a moment to shout out the Giving Councils and Circles because this past January, um, this collective giving, this collective of women who give of their time, talent, and treasure, they surprised a million dollars in giving. And so it just speaks to the power of 
um, groups of people coming, groups of women coming together, supporting um, organizations locally. And I will say that for the foundation, what we get from the giving councils and circles, you get, you know, a president and CEO, you get new board members, you get a deeper connection. Um, but we also get to more and more democratized philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And so I think there have been, um, and this is alluded to, you know, the, the way that philanthropy was structured from the very beginning. Um, there is a lot that good that has happened, but how much more good we can do when we center the voices of people in community and the giving councils and circles really help us do that. So excited to grow them and um, form more um, in the future and to see more and more everyday women, this is how it began to consider themselves philanthropists, that That's it's right. not just the little short fat guy on the monopoly box, that every woman can see herself as a philanthropist. And that was absolutely the idea, wasn't it, Chris Grum, when, uh, when, when leadership councils uh, started many, many years ago that have evolved into giving councils. Um, yeah. And this it's, was the foundation really that was one of the, as you know, now I'm sure, Felicia, one of the first to do this kind of um, intersectional philanthropy right here in Chicago. So we're really, really proud of that. And I, I've had, I, I was thinking about this when I was working on some notes for this. I think I've done just about everything at the foundation. So I've been board chair, consultant, associate director and interim. <laughs> so I've, I've seen it through a lot of different phases. And um, what I've always loved is that uh, the foundation is not in any way sort of said we have all the answers. Um, but they are, but what I have found is that um, the foundation has always been um, interested in struggling around the questions and the answers that need to be asked. And I think that means so much um, as we continue to bring people to uh, philanthropy, because to your point, Felicia, everyone's a philanthropist and, and can be, um, yeah. but we have to help dispel the myths that mm -hmm. exist about it. So thank you all so much. Appreciate all of your work. Um, we are going to keep things moving along. And in case you just joined us, you're listening to Gathering Ground. And today we are celebrating Chicago Foundation for Women. And we're going to take a look uh, now to um, four other folks who have been involved with the foundation in different ways. Um, certainly, we're going to start with um, Hannah Rosenthal, who was the executive director when, when I was associate director. Um, we're also going to bring on May Hong, Radhika Sharma, and Jane Sachs. And um, I served on the board with uh, May and Radhika and Jane. And actually, when I was the interim executive director, May was the board chair. So um, let's start with you, Hannah, and get let's get caught up. You're in. Uh oh, are you there? You're in. <laughs> You're well, in. First, I just want to thank Iris and Sunny, and Lucia and Marjorie for founding the foundation because. Um, because of that, I had the great honor of being there for three years. And my time was cut short because I got really sick. Uh, I'm fine now. Um, but uh, it was a highlight of my life. And I just want you to know, I called Sonny when I saw the advertisement that said there was an opening at the foundation for a new executive director. And I called her and I had two questions. One, are you going to do this? And she said, no. And I said, do you think I should? And we talked about it. And then she said, do you know Joey Moore? Do you know Joe Moore? And I did know Joe Moore, but it was a different person. <laughs> I knew the other Joe Moore. So imagine my shock when I arrived for my interview and I was introduced to you and I'm going, no, 
I do not know her. Um, and one other little story, mm -hmm. and that is that I've lived a very charmed life, and I ended up in Bhutan. Definitely put it on your bucket list. The most fascinating country. I get off the plane, and there's an entourage waiting for me. And I get in, they go, I, I'd like Hannah Rosenthal to please come with us. And I am whisked away without my husband, my then husband. And I was there to meet one of the four queens. And she said, I saw that you were the head of the Chicago wow. Foundation for Women. Wow. And I said, wow. Yeah, we <laughs> looked at that when we gave you your visa. And I said, well, that's really something. And I don't know if you know about Bhutan, but they have an annual census on happiness. Go figure. And she wanted to establish happy houses throughout Bhutan. There's one road in Bhutan. It's up in the Himalayas. And I said, what is a happy house? Well, there's some women that get beaten. Mm. And she tries to educate me on you know, exploitation and violence against women. And I said to her, I'm not the person to ask. Chris Grum is the person to ask. And I gave her your contact information and I don't know if the queen ever called you. But <laughs> not just queen. want you to know, you get off a plane in the middle of nowhere and they talk about Chicago Foundation for Women. Very nice. Very and nice. you wanted me to talk about what my well, hope is for the future. Well, and also what did you do when you left the foundation? First of all. I got well, mm -hmm. and then I ended up um, serving in the first term of Barack Obama in Washington. Mm -hmm. You and Joe know that because you visited. Mm -hmm. um, and I was an ambassador uh, at large for, um, global anti-Semitism, against global anti-Semitism. <laughs> it was a great honor. It was remarkable. It was, um, I learned a lot about our country and I certainly learned about the world. I'm the child of a Holocaust survivor. And um, that is kind of like in my DNA and it's sitting on my shoulder and was at our dinner table every night. So I tend to look at the world through a lens that says, who's the most needy? Who, who needs help here? Mm -hmm. um, that's the lesson I got from the only survivor in his family, my father. Mm -hmm. So it was perfect to be at Chicago Foundation for Women. It was perfect to be the ambassador I was. And um, after that, I ended up moving to Milwaukee. It was time to come home. I had become a grandmother. All and right. that became the primary. Okay. I have three grandchildren, two daughters, and a little boy who will be a great feminist. Wonderful. So hold Wait tight for me. Hannah. Hannah, hold tight for a moment. I want to bring a couple more people in. Okay. Are you saying talking too much, Mary? <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I would never say that to you. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, hold on for a second. Some things really do not change. Um, so I want to bring in May on. May, um, you were board chair. Um, you also, along with Radhika, helped start the Asian American Leadership Council. I think by that time I might have been staffing it. Um, so tell us about your journey uh, to the foundation. 
It was incredible. Um, and one thing that is really striking me as I listen to all these stories and hear and see all these amazing faces is the weaving of the networks and the relationships that brought us all here. And mm -hmm. as much as there are rivers of evidence that show when you change a woman's life, you change many lives. Mm -hmm. I think what's really the secret sauce behind Chicago Foundation for Women is really the, what I would call the sisterhood of possibility, mm. you know, and it is that we came together to have an ambition that each of us individually would have been really, really intimidated by and scared to do on our own. But when we say to each other, you can do this, we can do it there's a magic that happens. And that is, I think, the secret sauce that I just want to bottle and give away to everybody in the world. And that is truly the transformation that the foundation has had on my life personally. In fact, this group of women here in tonight's podcast, every single one of you has left a fingerprint and given me a word of wisdom and an encouraging word at times um, just throughout my life. And that, I think, is um, long lasting and powerful. Wow. So my hope for the foundation going forward is that as much as we celebrate the tens of millions of dollars that have been given by the foundation, all of us, because we've been on the inside, we know that the, that money was the result of impossible choices that had to be made. The mm. board, the grants committee, there were 10 times that amount of need that did not get funded. And women are fantastic at making those kind of impossible choices all the time. Right. But my vision is there's going to come a time where the foundation doesn't have to make those impossible choices. There is going to be an abundance. And so we don't have to make those choices. The grantees don't have to make choices about who they serve. And the women that they serve then don't have to make impossible, unconscionable choices. So... That's my vision, and I have no doubt this group of women here on this call will make that happen. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Radhika, tell us how you got involved with the foundation. And also, feel free to tell us what you're doing now, which I didn't ask you, May, but we'll come back to you. Radhika. Uh, I was first uh, in uh, the early 90s on the board of Upnagar, a fledgling organization uh, established to address uh, the domestic violence issues in the South Asian community. And I remember uh, Ranjana Bhargav, um, mm -hmm. uh, I think she was the board chair, uh, sh uh, pointing across the way at a coffee shop and saying, you know, that's Marianne Philbin. She's the director of CFW, the Chicago <laughs> Foundation for Women. I wish I could see her face right now. We were saying and uh, and uh, so I first got to know Upnagar, I, mean, I, I first got to know Chicago Foundation for Women as a grantee. And mm -hmm. I remember, um, Juju Lian leading mm -hmm. uh, one of the visits, the site visits, and telling her uh, that, you know, reproductive choice means something different to an Asian American woman, Juju, when, you know, you ask, as all CFW grantees are asked, how do you support reproductive freedoms and reproductive choice? And I said, you know, three generations ago, we might have been uh, not allowed to live as girls because uh, the societies we um, perpetuate. Um, it's, it's very uh, unfortunate to have a daughter. You have to raise her, she helps around the house, then you have to give money for her wedding, and uh, then she leaves the house and doesn't contribute. And so anyway, I said, you know, so for some of our clients, uh, if it means that they need to have an abortion, we take them to Planned Parenthood and we're there with them. 
For other clients, it was an affirmation uh, that they wanted to follow through with their pregnancy. And we had interns who, uh, an intern who became the birthing partner to a client of ours who left an abusive relationship and wanted oh, wow. to maintain uh, her pregnancy and, and have her child. So I said to Juju, you know, sometimes just to let a girl live is is such an affirmation and so uh cfw's funding for Upnagar opened doors it was the stamp of approval that opened many funding doors for Upnagar to flourish over the years and to grow as we did and uh i went on from Upnagar when i wanted to get into prevention to the illinois center for violence prevention yes. when we received another cfw grant to fund sisternet which mm, was a group of uh, young uh, black women yeah. from uh, mm. the Englewood area, yeah. South Side, yeah. uh, the Goddess Girls, is they, that was their group name, and, uh, and linked with us. And uh, they were so thrilled when CFW gave funding uh, to help launch their leadership development and for them to uh, get trained in doing teen dating violence prevention education. And they came and educated us as a board. And I remember Gwen Cohen and I just, you know, when they were schooling us on what uh, abusive behaviors are in a relationship, including emotional abuse by shutting out your partner. And we all learned something, you know, we learned something from them and they were incredible. And um, their leadership was uh, able to flourish because of CFW's funding. There were so few other sources of funding for girls' leadership then. And so that I, I, so I was able to see CFW from the allocations committee when, uh, um, when Suzanne and uh, Serene uh, were uh, chairing that committee. And then uh, I was able to uh, see what it was to get the funding. And then I was able to be on the board and with May have these wonderful gatherings of Asian American uh, women leaders convened at Juju's house and, you know, mm -hmm. amazing dinners that she'd provide us and the discussions we'd have. And it was, it was fabulous. And I think the foresight, uh, the wide vision of CFW included saying if the reproductive rights movement isn't inclusive enough, how are we going to bring other faces and voices? And so CFW brilliantly uh, distributed, disseminated mini grants for focus groups, uh, you know, um, with group faith groups, various women of color, et cetera. And I remember planning with Sujatha when she was the Upnagar executive director mm -hmm. back in 99, and she was applying for this grant. And then she made a presentation for the first Asian American uh, uh, Women's Leadership Council, CFW, uh, mm -hmm. on what she learned from those focus groups. So we found out that there are women who are pro-choice who are very well-established DuPage County matrons whose daughters were in college. And, uh, and uh, you know, we never knew. And we wouldn't have known without CFW funding those incredible focus groups and doing that, that research that helped to diversify and broaden the uh, reproductive rights movement. And so, CFW, um, well, as, as Tina Battle, the, the uh, communications uh, coordinator said, you know, the, the ripple effects, we have seen the ripple effects. I now am a colleague to one of those Southside girls, uh, um, Lysandra Hutchison, who um, was a goddess girl and was a C, you know, was one of those CFW, you know, one of those young women leaders who went on to college and came back and worked with us at uh, Illinois Center for Violence Prevention as a sister net um, um, 
coordinator and now she and I are, are working together uh, and she's helping with Upland Garden's South Side office. We now have a South Side office in Ashburn at uh, 79th and Pulaski. And um, she's doing fabulous work about wanting to start uh, leadership that's community-based on the South Side of Chicago to address gender-based violence. And she's taking this whole entrepreneurial approach and her leadership development, she was, she was bound to be successful anyway, but her leadership was fed by CFW dollars. And you know, for that, I'm forever grateful because she's, she's incredible. Wonderful. Well, I want to bring Jane in because Jane and I, um, Jane Sachs and I worked uh, on the Lavender Fund, <laughs> and, which then became the Lesbian Leadership Council. Um, Jane, how did you get involved with the foundation? Well, I was thinking so much about that. I actually lived in New York at the time and I came home to Chicago to visit my family and reconnected with my high school English teacher, who is none other than Sunny Fisher. And she was telling me what she was working on. And I was deeply involved in the anti-apartheid work in New York. And I was deeply involved in LGBT rights. I was part of a a group of women and women of color um, that was really fighting against the Reagan administration and HIV AIDS. Um, and it was really, you know, the idea of intersectional feminism was really kind of born when I was in college and we were living it. Um, it felt like self-abuse to somehow uh, separate those things. And, um, you know, it was like a fine ecology. You can't say you need oxygen or water, right? You know, and so when people ask us to split ourselves and think about splitting ourselves in those ways, it's, it's actually violent rather than just like not something people see. And through even talking to Sunny at the beginning and some of the conversations she was having and disheartening conversations where, well, why do you need a foundation for women? Like, why do you even need this? That I really understood from her at a very early time that philanthropy should be seen as a learning tool. It was not a charitable um, kind of tunnel, but it was a learning tool. It was going and learning about work you didn't know about. It was understanding lives that you might not have lived. Understanding, again, this fine ecology and how money is part of that. But as we know, um, you know, there is no kind of generic money, right? And so right. if there's knowledgeable support, knowledgeable resources, that someone's not just giving you a grant, but they're saying, what will it take to do this work? And I think also what I really learned from Sunny is that I need you to do this work. This is not a gift you're giving to me. I actually need you to change the world we share. Otherwise, I can't survive in it either. And so I, that's kind of how I came to it. I, I was asked, I think, with uh, Chris and Mary to become part of the Lavender Fund, which I must, I must tell you, even I'm a very upstanding queer woman, but I didn't know what a Lavender Fund was. I just thought that the people who were on it seemed great. And then it was this kind of name for something. And so we were all very happy when, through a process of development, we changed it to lesbian and that we were <laughs> saying that out loud and talking about it. And then I was really honored to co-chair it for quite a while, long time, mm -hmm. as I tried to mentor other people to take over. Mm -hmm. And we were able to really shift it to the um, LBT, you know, Q fund. 
and yeah. what that means because now that's actually baked into the mission right it's right. not just about serving women and girls but trans and gender non-binary individuals and so that was that was a big evolution um and so i served on leadership i served on the board um we did a lot of programs together when i ran the institute for the study of women and gender we did a fantastic program um i think it was like in 2004 2005 mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, which was uh, defining the F word for women of color. Yes, the F um, word series. Right. Mm -hmm. And I must say, I have saved those posters. Because, have you? Yeah, because, you know, um, you know, feminism is a verb, right? And you yeah, have to it keep be. conjugating it depending on who is speaking it, who is right. saying it, when it's right. being said. And so that was really an important moment in time, the center mm -hmm. of the Bush years and way before Obama. Um, and I was able to bring some of the things that we did at CFW when I served on Obama's LGBT commission and mm -hmm. arts commission. So what I was thinking, just to kind of wrap up mm -hmm. my role, is that, you know, one of the hopes that I ha have for CFW is that as social justice workers, we remember that we create the reality before it's a reality. Mm -hmm. We actually see that reality before it exists. You aren't working for social justice that's already there and just, you know, doing a sightseeing tour. You are also <laughs> you are talking about what the world could be and who you could be in it. In it. Mm -hmm. If you create a very different reality. And so what I, I love seeing what CFW is doing and what I wanted to keep doing is that kind of imagining, um, being open and unapologetic. That means you've got to be humble and bold. It means you've got to agitate and you've got to be agitated. You have to really be infuriated and unnerved and hungry and loving and innovative, right? But it takes, it takes those kinds of characteristics to say, the reality I want to live in doesn't exist yet That's and right. i am willing to put in whatever i have to do that and um you are some of the people that i have known that have um done that the most and and i thank you um very much absolutely now hannah would you like to tell us um what you see or what you would envision or love to have happen with the foundation well everybody's been very articulate and i can't really add a lot, but I do want to say that when I was hired, the search committee said to me, we want CFW to become an advocacy organization. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, fine, I consider myself an advocate, fine. And as you know, we did a lot of activities that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, posed questions to the community. But one of the things we did was we looked at the city, the county, the state, and the federal budgets. And we saw how were, we, did, we looked at them through a gender lens. Mm -hmm. Which of our needs were being addressed in there? Because even if we quadrupled or more, tenfold, the amount of money we were able to raise and give away, we couldn't touch what government can do. We could put a domestic violence shelter on the corner of every street and we still 
without government policy and funding, we couldn't make the difference we wanted to. And I think that what I did was a little uh, too much. I think that there was resistance. Uh, but I would say now we are at a very critical moment in this country. As women, as people who care about issues of race and otherness, um, that we're going to have to rekindle. My, my hope is that we rekindle the advocacy uh, that will serve the women that we care so deeply about. Because if we don't, who will? Right. All right. Well, thank you so much. I want to, oh gosh, the time has gone so quickly. And I want to make a few announcements um, before we close. Um, first of all, I loved a couple of weeks ago when I got an email from the foundation, uh, the reference line was uh, the luncheon is canceled, but the needs of women and girls are not. Mm -hmm. And um, and I thought that was perfect. And um, want to remind you all that this is a public foundation that raises every dollar it gives away. So please go to CFW.org and make a contribution. And in fact, we used to do this at the luncheon all the time. Um, there's been a match that's been made available to the foundation that just came to many of us in an email today. And so um, for every dollar that is raised up to $100,000, it was going to be matched. And Felicia has already said that they have, and, it's, and this has not changed, right? Many more requests than, than can possibly be filled, um, even more so now during this time of, of COVID. So please, um, if I haven't learned one thing, it's, you know, you have to ask for the money. Isn't that right, Joe and Chris and Felicia? We must ask for the money. And so I want to just remind everyone that this match is happening, and it would be really great if you could go to CFW.org and, and make a contribution. Um, I want to thank all of you for being here today. Um, we have an event coming up on November 10th. It's a racial equity um, access um, diversity inclusion symposium. And we actually are going to be raising money for two organizations that are Black-led. Um, one of them is a longtime CFW grantee, Affinity Community Services. And the other one is IC Stars. And more information about that is on our website. That's November 10th. Um, and as I said, we will have this podcast available in the next oh, 24 to 48 hours. I want to close with uh, something that I wrote in 2009. This was published, actually, in the Association of Fundraising Professionals. It was an article of all things, women's funds. And Chris, this will sound very familiar to you. Um, in the world of women's funds, this is how we think. If you give a woman a fish, she will feed her family first and possibly go hungry. If you teach a woman to fish, she will feed her family first until the lake becomes polluted or her fishing rights are taken away. However, if you give women the resources and the access to community capital, they will buy the lake, feed their families, keep the lake environmentally clean, and have something to pass on to pass on for generations to come. As a movement, we are about building sustainable community. And in order to support women and girls, we know they are ready to buy the lake. So come on in, the water is just fine. <laughs> so on that note, let me thank you all for being here. Um, this is another episode, another podcast for Gathering Ground. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to see all of your faces. And uh, happy anniversary to Chicago Foundation for Women. Until next time.
We are so pleased to let you know that you can now find Gathering Ground on iTunes, in addition to SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Breaker, and Radio Public, and at GatheringGroundPodcast.com. I'm Mary Morton, and this has been another episode of Gathering Ground.